the elephant in the pew. Elephant in the Pew podcast, where they engage in the topics everyone wants to talk about, but nobody wants to discuss. From the Elephant Portable Studio, here are your hosts, Stephen Whitten and Ryan Reggie. We have, over time, kind of just compounded that idea of that culture. Uh, I can only, like I said, conjecture, like you said earlier. Welcome to the Elephant in the Pew podcast, the show that brings you our opinions and nicely tuned, well-oiled, chaotic sound clip to engage in the topics everyone wants to talk about but nobody wants to discuss. I'm Stephen Witten. And I'm Ryan Ramsey. Thanks for tuning in to Elephant in the Pew today. This episode has been brought to you by ElephantPew.com, your one-stop shop for everything Elephant in the Pew. Also links to Stephen and I's personal blogs there. Check it out, ElephantPew.com. Thank you so much for making us a part of your day, night, slash evening, wherever you are, and whenever you're listening. Thank you so much for making us a part of your day. Today, Ryan, we're going to be talking about a couple of things, but the first topic and the main topic of this episode is women in ministry and how our opinions have shifted over one this last year, but over over our entire life. So are you ready to jump in and dive off that diving board into the pool that is women in ministry? Yeah, I'm ready, Stephen. I say that we uh, just dive in head first here and talk about it. So I think best thing for us to do is talk about history. You know, oh, how did yes. we get to uh, what, what opinions we had? So um, I'll go first, if you don't okay. mind. Absolutely. I grew up in the United Methodist Church, who was uh, really excited about having women in ministry, um, but I came from a small town church, and then um, I got kind of in college, um, got in the, with the Reformed crowd and some other, other things, and um, a family member of mine was in the Reformed crowd, and so was against women, especially women uh, senior pastors, and um, so and I was in college, and my church back home, who I was estranged from for another long story, but we won't go into it, um, had decided that they were going to be sent a woman pastor. So um, that was the first time that it ever really affected me um, in that way. So um, as hard as it was for me, even after um, advising my dad against uh, the whole having a woman senior pastor and all that, um, they had a woman senior pastor, and she was a lovely lady, and um, she was really good for their church. So uh, it was kind of hard for me. It was like the first time I ever, uh, had to like deal with that. Like, Oh, I don't, I don't think women should be senior pastors, but at the same time, this was a really good fit and she did a lot of good for the church. So, <clears throat> you know, that was kind of a, a crazy thing. So going to Indiana Wesleyan, then at the same time, I, um, you know, the Wesleyan church supports women in ministry and all that. So I was always kind of like torn, like, okay, what, I don't understand this. And then and taking classes and ministry classes, with women and going to be pastors, I was like, okay, I don't understand this. You know, like, is this right? I think the Bible says that you know, women shouldn't, you know, their, their roles in church should not be the same as men. And so, um, so it was kind of uh, confusing for me for a while. And so I struggled with that. And uh, then eventually out of college, I got into kind of the reformed camp as far as that goes. And I was around a bunch of senior pastors who basically supported that same notion. So I didn't um, really have any kind of butting heads about it. It was just kind of it was what it was and, um, uh, you know, kind of traveled down that path. Um, then 
it kind of started to happen where I went back to Wesley Seminary and then also around uh, women again going back for seminary and these women really going into ministry, trying to get ordained and all that. And so um, I, again, was started kind of struggling with the whole idea of women in ministry and um, wondering about like, okay, what, what does the Bible say about this and what does Jesus say about this and what did Paul write about this? And so I, uh, I was, you know, kind of torn about it. And so, um, and I got to put faces with um, the women that were going into ministry and begin to um, get to know them and, and see that. And so it became hard for me because I guess my struggle always was if they are called to ministry and I'm wrong or that whole camp is wrong about women not being in ministry or senior pastors, um, who are we to deny someone who is called by God into ministry to that role. So that was kind of the hard thing. And that was kind of um, where I ended until kind of recently when things have changed, which um, we'll get to in our next section after we talk about history. And um, then we'll talk about what's changed. So go ahead, Stephen. What's your history with uh, women in ministry and kind of how your thoughts about that developed growing up? Well, it's no secret that um, I grew up in the Nazarene church and um, so that's kind of where I um, stick most of my historical, um, you know, uh, personal beliefs into. It's the Nazarene Church, and they are 100% in um, in line with the Wesleyan Church and the Methodist Church when it comes to uh, women in ministry. Uh, they support it, uh, and they encourage it. Um, if they, If you feel called to the ministry... That is what they want. So, um, me personally, I've always had, um, even though my, my grandfather was a Nazarene pastor and my mom was his daughter, my mom was very anti-women in the ministry. Um, she believed that they could be ministers, but she didn't really, she hadn't had any um, solid um experiences with a woman in ministry that ended up being a good thing or a good fit, if you will. So I've always had that skew where, you know, like I've always said, you know, absolutely going through high school and even in through college, having that mentality. Yeah, absolutely. Women are allowed to be in ministry, but I always had that, but, but I don't think I would ever be able to, um, serve under a woman minister or actually, um, be at a church or attend a church that the senior pastor was a woman. So I was very hypocritical in that sense. Um, now, while towards the end of my career, uh, college career um, attending Indiana Wesleyan, um, I actually got to interact with several um, women who were ministers. They were ordained um, in the Wesleyan church. And that really kind of that changed my mind completely because I actually got to see women in this ministerial role who were not only like perfect they were like the embodiment of a minister but they were also like really good ministers like you know there's sometimes where you can say well they fit in the location where they're at and that's that's good for them but I don't see them being able to be successful anywhere else whereas these women that I was able to interact I was it was unbelievable to me because I had never witnessed that before that not only were these women um, good good fit where where they were, but they were great ministers, some of the best ministers that I've ever um, been um, privileged to actually talk to and experience um, 
te- their teachings and everything. So it was it was really a, an eye opening experience. And this is where like I completely flipped the script and say, you know, women are allowed. They're not allowed. They're encouraged. I mean, I have no doubt that women are called by God, and they're not only called by God, but they are some of the best ministers out there. They can be. I mean, they're, I'm not saying that they're better than men or men are better than women. I'm just saying that there, there are there are ministers out there that blow my mind on how they are, you know, good at what they do and good at what God wants them to do as well. So it's it's one of those um, things where they that time, that short time that I was at Indiana Wesleyan where I completely, I'm completely open to the idea of women in ministry. And I'm not only that, but there are some women that are just so good at being ministers that, that there should be no question on whether or not they should be in ministry or not. So I guess that's where, that's the history of where I come from with, you know, being supportive of it, but behind the scenes not being supportive of it to now I'm 100% supportive of it. Yeah, and that's kind of interesting because, um, you know, that story your mom has is the story that I had too growing up. Like, it seemed like every woman that I know that was in ministry had like um, kind of a chip on her shoulder or like she was really power hungry or felt like, you know, it's a tough field for a woman to be in. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they, they kind of over compensated for that you know what i mean yeah instead of, so instead of, instead of having that uh that humility um patience uh you know over graciousness that a lot of pastors need um they kind of didn't have that um because of a reactionary role to kind of um society and all that um and I, that's just me speculating but that's what it felt like at least yeah and, and so and then in i think short that's time, why a lot of people fuck that you know yeah that's in that in that short time at Indiana Wesleyan, I was you know I got to experience those great ministers, but then I also did experience a couple of um, women ministers that did feel the same way that you you did um, that you've experienced, where they feel like they have that chip on their shoulder and they feel like they have to be something they really aren't. Like like they don't. To me, a woman who is a minister doesn't have to be a man, so don't try to be like a man. You know. Right. And that's where that some of these women were trying to be um, a male, um, a, a male yeah. style preacher when they should have just embraced their who they, uh, were. who they were exactly. So that's um, so I saw that, but it's it's the it's one of those things where the good completely nullifies the bad and shines. Yeah, and I, and I think mine. Um, my opinion now has changed as, as I move forward. I guess the struggle that I had most of all was um, looking at what the way Jesus treated women in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. And so, like, when you look at how Jesus treated women, I actually reading, I've talked, I've referenced this book a few times now, but uh, it's called Jesus A Theography. It's by Frank Viola and Leonard Sweet. And um, so, I just, uh, he talks about Jesus and how he treated women uh, counterculturally. And uh, specifically, like the woman at the well, uh, talking to that woman in their culture would have been a big no-no. Um, even addressing a woman who, you know, in public by herself, and then a woman who people knew was of ill repute, um, you know, who had, um, 
you know, multiple husbands or something going on there. We don't know the exact details, uh, but it was a bad situation sexually at home and things going on. And so, um, but he addressed her and didn't just say, hey, you know, he offered her, you know, living water. Um, and so it was really interesting how he, you know, just ignored the cultural accept, acceptation, expectations of what happened there. And then um, how he then um, treated women as part of his own group. So, you know, none of the 12 disciples were um, women, uh, but uh, he had women disciples who followed him. They weren't his 12 that he picked, um, but they were part of his group. And in fact, uh, what Leonard Sweet says and Frank Viola say in that book is that um, the 12 men all denied Jesus, but um, it was the women who were there till the end, um, except for, uh, ooh, was it John? Yeah. Yeah, was John. There? John was there all the he way to the, the end. And he was, he was John the was the one that Jesus looked at when he was on the cross and said, this is now your mom, or this is this your is mother. Your Take, yeah. Mo- yeah, mother, this is your son. Take care of her. You know, like he was basically, yeah. he, he instructed John to take care of Mary. Right. So um, all of but the women were there. Um, the women were the first ones who came to the tomb. Yes. Um, the the women's the women's the, the women women's. were the first one. <laughs> they were the first ones to carry the message that Christ had risen. Uh, Jesus allowed them to um, allowed the whole Mary Martha story. Uh, he allowed Mary to sit at his feet and listen when he was teaching, which in that culture what it was unacceptable yeah. for a woman to be in there with the men during that teaching. Um, and then of course uh, one of the, the biggest things is um, like the woman the woman who walked up to him and said, um, uh, who wanted healing from him and t- just touched his robe. He said, who touched me? You know, he felt the power go out from him. Um, you know, that those were things in that culture. That, oh, and then the woman who uh, was going to be stoned, and then the whole yeah. classic, if you, you who are sinless, throw the first stone. He put, a, he put his own life um, in the way to protect her. He stepped in yeah. front of them. So, I mean, when you start going down this road about how Jesus viewed women in a culture that put women below everything, um, you know, you start to see a different picture of who Jesus was and the things he stood for. The the two lowest, lowest things on the totem pole of um, low were women and children back then. Yeah. Um, and the two things that Jesus protected more than any other were women and children. And so... Um, you know, it's it's when you start looking at that, you start have to ask some hard questions yourself. And if you're a formed guy, you have to ask yourself some hard questions. So if our goal is to be Christ-like or to be like Christ, um, then we have to look at how he treated women and children and ask ourselves, are we creating a system, a church that treats women and children the same way that the Pharisees did? And if the answer is yes, then I think there's an issue. Yeah. Um, now, um the interesting thing, and there's I'll post an article um, on the the blog or the website for this episode, but it's from that book. But it's a website article for just the section of the book that I'm referring to. But in uh, Mark, let's see, in Mark uh, 14, it's uh, I'll just read it to you, starting in verse one. Yeah. Okay. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, 
lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of anointment, oh, sorry, of ointment, of pure nard, very, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they scolded her. But Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing for me, for you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Okay, so um, this is the something that he focuses on that book that kind of rocked my world. Because he says in verse 9 there, 14.9, And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, so the gospel of Christ, right? Yeah. Proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Jesus directly ties the telling of the gospel to what she did that night, which is incredible. Yeah. Um, he is, in essence, saying her actions are tied very closely to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't think I've heard the gospel of Jesus Christ told where that story has been told along with it very often. So that's what kind of blew my mind. So Frank Viola kind of goes down this, um, oh, I guess you could say, imaginative or logical um, path on this article that he writes about how um, this happens right before Jesus is betrayed. So literally the next verse after this, Jesus betrays, or Judas betrays Jesus. Um, and we can... Uh, kind of infer that he's the one who says, how dare you waste this money? Because he was the one who was robbing money, right? Right, um, yeah, exactly. So, so he then goes and betrays Jesus because he's so just, I can't believe, Jesus has gone too far this time letting this woman, you know, do this. And yeah. in their culture, you know, that's the way they treat women. A woman should never be able to touch him, you know, like him like that. That's just ridiculous. But it goes on to say, you know, as Jesus is um, being um, beaten and he looks around, and he sees none of his disciples are around anymore. That everybody's deserted him. Um, he uh, he can smell the oil, and he remembers what she did, and he's able to press on. So he writes this article that talks about all the different steps as he's walking through the cross. That he realizes how he's all alone, but he remembers. He smells the oil, and he remembers different things from the ministry, from his ministry, and um, how he healed people, or how uh, people desperate desperately believed in him and he was able and he presses on and pushes forward through the pain because he knew those are the people who he was dying for you know mm -hmm. and um that's why he pressed on so you know frank Vogel makes this kind of explanation using some interpretation and um academic academia to say that that's why jesus says that 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 is why what she did is so closely tied to the telling of his gospel because it was her and her actions that helped give him the strength to fight off his humanness as he didn't want to be crucified, you know? Right. And so um, it's really good, um, really good, because so so often we put Jesus as this um, superhero who didn't feel any pain. It was like Superman going to the cross, you right. know, like, you know, but he was man, and it hurt, and it was horrible. And so 
you know, I'm sure his flesh was screaming to turn around and, you know, just smite everybody. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Uh, yeah. Well, and, and that's the thing is, is like, you know, this brings up a good, you know, a good point. Um, we're talking about the culture of the time. I think we, we have over time kind of just compounded that idea of that culture. And there's so many things that when we talk about it, when we talk about the Bible, in different topics, how we always like, well, how can we, you know, put this into today's culture? And we put this into today, you know, like that's the always thing is how can we translate this, what he's saying in this particular passage into and translate it into what we're going through today. And yet Mm -hmm. we have this, this mentality. It's like a block that says, well, you know, we can only translate the Bible uh, into our culture today, except for that one thing about women in the, you know, like they always, they always want to like attack or not attack, but, you know, attach themselves to this mentality that, um, women shouldn't be in ministry because the Bible explicitly says so. When I don't know if the Bible explicitly says that, um, that women aren't Mm -hmm. to be in the ministry, but we always just infer that whole cultural relevance, like, um, Mm -hmm. you know, we're gonna we're gonna choose this hill and we're gonna we're gonna die on this hill because women shouldn't be in ministry because of this this and this, and we're like yeah. And I always I always come up with the idea of like well how, and I know I've said this to you many times when we when we um would have debates about this, um, a year ago when we were talking about women in ministry and I said I would say how how arrogant are men to think that we have all of the answers for um a woman or let alone anybody there's not there's no there's nothing that i can say to every single person that can make them do something you know and so like mm-hmm. that's where i'm like of course there will be of course god will call a woman to minister to another woman because they're going to be able to answer a lot more questions in a way that they'll yeah that's understandable whereas i would be able to just you know flub around and and basically you know make everything misunderstood when i you make know worse. yeah make it worse and and so that's where i've always that's where i kind of like since college has really said like how how arrogant are we to think that we understand everything that we can understand that we yeah. can explain it to somebody else you know that's and that's one of those things where um i think god is so amazing that he's made us you know male and female for a reason there there were it wasn't like haphazardly put together he put us this way intentionally and he did it and there was there's so many other different their plans there that we are it's it's unfathomable to us Mm -hmm. yeah and i i think um it's hard though with the writings of Paul. Um, and I still don't understand this. So you'll have to just give me some grace in this because I'm not sure I understand Paul, what Paul's saying. Um, then, I mean, if we take it completely word for word, I mean, women sh- should remain, their heads should be covered. They shouldn't speak in worship, all that, all that stuff. A, a woman should never teach over a man, you know, all that stuff. I mean, it, it's in the Bible and it's in the word of God. So, um, we have to take it seriously. Um, but, we also have to translate what was for that culture specifically in that time and what 
is for now, and that's also a very dangerous. <laughs> so you're walking a few dangerous tight ropes there. Um, yeah. One, one that says um, either God's word is accurate and true today, 100%, um, or the other one is uh, some of it's cultural and we just don't really need to listen to that anymore. And so then it's kind of a slippery slope, like, okay, how much of it is just all cultural? Is all of it just cultural and none of it applies anymore? They're all just stories. So so it's hard, um, but my biggest conviction is just Jesus, and he doesn't seem to be real concerned about any of that. And um, and so the question is then, well, is Paul just like some sort of sexist or right? Know? Right. I don't. And, yeah, and, I don't uh, think I don't think Paul was being sexist. I think he was speaking to Paul. Does this a lot where he speaks directly to the church that he's writing to and a problem that right. they're dealing with. And I think where yeah. where it boils down to is. Um, and this is just me conjecture, you know, like I can, I can't, I don't know exactly what the situation where Paul was writing to, um, when he wrote the words down exactly. But I, I think that it, where it boils down to is, is like, there are some places that just fit and there are some places that don't fit. And I think he mm-hmm. was in this situation, I'm sure he was speaking to a specific thing that can be, um, used for, all generations to know. I mean, that's where the Bible, in my opinion, comes to to life for so many generations. Is that it was? It's the word that God spoke at that time for everybody to understand, but it was also for that specific moment in time as well. Right. And so and I think, yeah, I think there are. I guess if you looked at it, um, you can look at each of those issues that he talks about and say, um, kind of a big a big answer, like. For instance, women's head should remain covered. Well, in that culture, and I hate saying that because I sound like some liberal nut when I start saying words like, well, in that culture. Um, but in that culture, it was very distracting for a woman to have her head uncovered. It would be like a woman with cleavage, like very uh, aggressive cleavage <laughs> hanging out in church <laughs> right, today. Right, exactly. It, it, it would be like uh, men would be very distracted. Um, it would be hard. And so another woman would hopefully lovingly come along and say, hey, we love you. Um we want to teach you about modesty. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Um, because some some of our men aren't very mature and they're having a hard time. You know, and I know that's probably sexist of me to say. Apparently, well, no, it's for... it's true. I mean, like we can flip. I'm going to flip the script here a little bit, okay? And say a lot of people think that we um, men and the church, especially, um, want to make women dress a certain way because men can't handle themselves, and so you know the whole idea that, um, well, women are responsible for, you know, dressing a certain way. Well, I'm going to flip the script up and say it's not that men, um, that that women have to do this because men um, aren't immature or aren't mature enough. It's that whole idea that we know this. We know men have struggled with this since the dawn of man, right? I mean, that's... That's one of those things. So, um, we're, I'm going to say this and every single man is going to hate me, but we are the weaker sex when it comes to sexual temptation. I hands down believe that. So it's not that we're asking women to cover up because of, we, we don't like their bodies or what I think I would say that it's because men, like you said, are, are immature. They're, they're maybe, when it comes to spiritually mature uh, maturity, 
women have have it down a little bit fat. They can get it down a little bit faster than men can, and it takes a long time. And then you also have that whole idea that, especially at church, you have men of all ages, men of all mm-hmm. creeds. Same way with women, but mm-hmm. like I said before, <laughs> women can um, kind of um, grasp the spiritual maturity a little bit faster than men can. Right. So. Yeah. And so then I, I look at things like um, women shouldn't speak in church or speak in like uh, Paul says. And I think Paul's addressing the big issue there is the curse of the garden is that women will want to want to usurp or um, overpower a man's authority. Um, that's just part of their sin nature. Um, and we see a lot of that. So um, in a perfect relationship, a man will protect the woman and give her all the opportunities she needs and wants to speak. You know what I mean? So, um, in that right relationship that happens, but, uh, I can only, like I said, conjecture, like you said earlier, um, maybe in that situation, that's what was going on. Maybe women were trying to, you know, overpower the man just because there was some of that ascent issue or something like that. I don't know. Um, so, you know, you can talk through these things and figure out and talk about culturally how they could have been applied and how he was trying to do that. But I will say this, and we're going to wrap it up here in a second, but um, uh, my opinion has changed about women in ministry in general. I I think uh, there are things where I prefer women in ministry. So I prefer a woman's pastor to be a woman. I prefer a children's pastor to be a woman. I prefer um, a lot of those areas to be women because they have a natural God-given ability to do those things. Compassion pastors who are in charge of praying and uh, speaking with people, um, I think they're great at that and really good. I think, in fact, the only thing that I I personally am not there yet, obviously, and I've come a long way in a year, but um, I don't know that I could personally go to a church where there the, there would be a woman senior pastor because I have a hard time with the whole idea of um, the man is the leader of the family. Now, I realize the woman is also the leader of the family, but on those hard decisions, and if you've been married for very long, you know they do happen from time to time. There comes those hard decisions where both you – come down to a stalemate or it's just not really clear what to do. And the man has to make the decision, you know, has to, you know, mm-hmm. go right or left. Even when right or left doesn't look like a right decision, you have to make a decision. You can't just stay there forever. So, um, and it, I believe it's the man's responsibility to do that. And it's not a fun responsibility. We don't like doing it, but that's what we've been tasked with. And so I think that's why I feel like still, um, at least a church that I would attend or I would work at would need to have a male senior pastor that has to make that final decision in those hard times, you know, that it would fall on a male, um, just as Christ is the head of the church, that, um, that the male would be the head of the family and the head of the head of the church. So I, you know, I would say I'm, you know, I'm not completely that direction, but I've come a long way in the last year. So, um, I can attest you know, that I, you have come a long way. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, so that's kind of where I'm at and my conviction on that. And, um, so I'm all about women in ministry and ordaining them and, um, getting, you know, using their gifts that God's clearly given them to do the work of the church. So, uh, Oh, there's the bells here. I'm going. So, you know what that means? It's time for our closing thoughts on this. Um, so Steven, go ahead. All right. <clears throat> so when it comes down to, um, women in ministry, I do believe 100% that women are meant to be in ministry, and they should be in ministry. And um, to kind of piggyback on something that Ryan said is, um, I'm not completely opposed to women 
as the senior pastor. But I do agree when it comes to it's it's a hard line to justify um, with Scripture, especially one where it says wives submit to your husbands and husbands take care of your wives. When when clearly the Scripture that that says you know men you're you're responsible for for everything that happens, um, and that's not meaning that they're above. By any means, I, I, it just where I lay or lie on the issue is that um, I think that the the husband of a of a of the family is going to be judged a little bit harsher than um, the wife for certain um, decisions being made. So there is a line there that um, needs to be um, explained a little bit when a senior pastor. Um, comes in and she and it's a woman and you know the question always arises especially in the conversations that I've had about women senior pastors is if she's married so where does that put the spouse where does where does where does the husband fit into that relationship she's in charge of a church but he's in charge of the family, so is he in charge of the church too? It's one of those those line those questions that line of questions that we can get into. Um, that's not something that we we decided that we wanted to talk about today on this episode because it's there's there's a whole can of worms that we could open there. But mm-hmm. the idea here is is that um, women in ministry is in in my opinion it's encouraged it was encouraged by Jesus in the fact that the first people to know that Jesus had risen were women they were the mm-hmm. first they were the first evangelists and preachers they were the first people that went out and told people hey Jesus is Jesus is no longer in the tomb he's he's alive you know and they told it was women it was three women in that were getting ready to um you know put the uh scents uh, the the incense and stuff on the body of Jesus. They were going three days after um, his crucifixion, and they were met on the road, and they ran and told the disciples. So it wasn't even his uh, disciples slash apostles that were the first to know. It was the women. And I think it's important to realize that in Scripture, it was written that way. It was they made a point to let us know that they that women were the first. To know, mm-hmm. so I think that's where I can kind of feel like it's that's like the like a pinnacle of um, the idea that women are allowed to be in ministry because why in that culture would they have why why in that culture at the time would Jesus have entrusted so much um, of the gospel to women if he didn't trust the women to be ministers and mm-hmm. tell the good news? So that's where I. Um, that's my stance in women in ministry. Um, you can find me on stoneswillcry.com and elephantpew.com, which will have a link to stoneswillcry.com. Ryan? Oh, all right. So uh, my closing thoughts are this, a lot of what Stephen said. Um, yeah, I think uh, with Jesus and specifically there and, and Mark, when he talks about, um, like I read earlier, spent a lot of time on about the woman who anointed him with oil. And how her story would be told alongside of his whenever the gospel was told. Um, I think that's that's important that uh, we realize that Jesus elevated a woman that high, that her story um, would be so closely tied to his story, and that what she did helped him to follow through with uh, the cup, 
that uh, God had given, God the Father had given him to bear, the one that he prayed that would be taken from him, the one that he swept blood over, worrying about and trying to um, say if there was any other any other way. Um, but, uh, you know, he told that that story, her story, was important and that it would be told alongside his. So that being said, I think uh, Christ focused so much on uh, women and children and elevating them to um, equal equality with men. Um, so I guess I think women are equal to do anything that they want to do um, with 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 men. Um, the only thing that I would say is hard for me still is the senior pastor thing because of the usurping man's authority, and um, I think it becomes a roadblock for a lot of men. Um, not that it's right, but it does become a roadblock for a lot of men to sit under a woman as far as that goes, teaching and, and leadership. And, uh, and the fact that, um, that, uh, a man is the final authority in the family when a decision has to be made, like Stephen said, um, when men, I believe will be judged harsher for, uh, the actions that they took for how they led their families, how they took care of their wives. And so, um, unfortunately, you know, we think of this, um, the man relationship to be like, oh, well, they get to have all the decision power and all that stuff. Well, unfortunately, the decision-making you know, role is not as much fun as it might look like. Yeah, I think most right. men, most men actually inherently would rather just sit back and let their wives make the decision. I think that's why you see those relationships a lot in marriage where the man just kind of like whatever she wants to do and you know, the wife kind of runs it um, because we inherently want to just sit back. And I think women inherently want to take charge and do that. And so God makes us, uh, gives us the opposite roles because he knows that's not what we were created to do. That's our fallen nature. You know, women operate best um, in marriage, especially when they are following their husbands and they're serving um, their husbands in that. And men operate best when they're leading and they are um, taking care of their wives and loving and promoting their wives so their wives can have that front role. But it, it goes against our natures, both of our natures, to do those roles. And so I think that's the way God designed it um, on purpose. Uh, so, um, yeah, so the senior pastor thing I have a hard time with, but everything else I think is great. And uh, with the right male leaders in place to promote women and to uh, empower them and give them the strength that they need to um, do amazing things for the kingdom, I think that's awesome. So you can find me at Shouting Into the Wild, uh, my blog, and uh, all my stuff is there. So that's that. Um, we, we closed out a little early tonight, um, and not super early because I got chatty, but um, <laughs> it happens. And we, have, we have some announcements to make for Elf in the Pew. So if you've been listening to this, you might, if, you're, if you're an audio aficionado, you might be thinking, tonight sounds a little different. Like the audio quality sounds a little bit off, and maybe the timing sounds a little bit off, and that's actually because... Uh, I am right now sitting in Greenville, Michigan at uh, a church called Greenville Community Church, and I am recording this podcast via Skype with my friend Stephen, who's sitting at his home in Indiana uh, over there, close to Wapikong, where we normally record. So um, because I have accepted a position up here in Michigan as their new student pastor, and we are moving to Michigan uh, early November. So big news for our family and everything happening there. And um, so that might leave you wondering, so what is going to happen to Elephant in the Pew? And that is a great question. 
It's a very good question. Very good question. And the thing is, is for the next couple weeks, um, Ryan um, is going to take um, a break from the recording aspect of um, Elephant in the Pew just for a couple weeks until he get him and his family get settled in. They're they're also going on a he he and his wife are going on a mission trip um, towards the end of October, and then they're going to be settling down in Greenville, um, Michigan. Now. There are going to be a couple of episodes still in the next couple of weeks where it's just going to be kind of like the, uh, I'm calling it Elephant in the Pew Greatest Hits. And we're going to kind of, um, uh, I'm going to um, put out these uh, these episodes that we'll just, you know, briefly go over several of the good episodes. I'm not, I, All of our episodes were good, but, you know, some of the, the yeah. most hit um, topics and we're going to kind of reestablish some of what we had talked about and maybe even do some interjection um, on that other side um, where, you know, since there's been some time um, to mull over what we had talked about, we can kind of go in there. Um, in the future, Elephant in the Pew is um, we're reaching out to do a lot of other things. We're not just going to sit here and just do a podcast um, we're actually going to start other, we're going to do some writing projects as well. So right. this, so elephant in the pew is not going anywhere. We're going to keep this podcast going. Um, we signed on for a year and if anybody has been preparing or, you know, watching the podcast, this, we do a weekly podcast and this is our, actually our 52nd topic. Um, so Ooh, this is exactly, made it. this marks one year. One year of Elephant year, in the Pew. Yep. And so this is where we both we both signed on that we would do a year every week. Um, which is a big commitment. Which I is a very big commitment. Yeah. We don't think we realized what we were committing to when we made that commitment. So we, we've we've met our commitment, our initial commitment to do this. So we I think we're justified in taking a couple weeks off um, because we we did what we said we were going to do. And so while Ryan and his wife and family get um, settled up in Greenville, Michigan, and my wife and I get settled into a new routine of um, how we're going to do recording and everything like that, we're going to just take a couple weeks. And like I said, we'll there'll be some episodes come out, maybe not four, but about probably about two or three where it's just a, a mix of that. And then we'll go from there starting in November um, we're also going to, um, we'll start Elephant in the Pew back up. Um, also coming in is a new and improved website. It'll be dropping, mm-hmm. um, it'll probably, actually it'll drop, it'll have dropped yesterday because you're listening to this on Thursday or after that. So <laughs> it's going to uh, um, happen the day before this episode um, has aired. So it shouldn't change anything if you're if you're um, subscribing to us via iTunes or Google Play. Everything will stay the same. Um, it's just that um, our website is going to become our hosting site for all of our audio, um, and yep. we're um, relinquishing Spreaker.com, right? So that's right. We're actually kind of breaking away and becoming our own um, in-house um, hosting site. And um, financially, that's just better for us. We're, we're, not, we're not in it. 
we're we haven't been making money off of this. This is still very expensive to do, but we're we're willing to cut costs so that we can continue to do this and not like break the bank while we're doing it. That's right. So uh, lots of changes coming, and so we appreciate you guys hanging on and um, you know giving us a little bit of a break. So it'll be mid-November before we're back in the swing of things, and we are back at it. So if I know Stephen and I, that'll be a long time off, and we'll both be chomping at the bit to get back talking about stuff, and we'll be still talking while we're not on the air with you guys. We'll be talking to each other and getting new ideas for another year and figuring out what the schedule is going to look like, if it's going to be every week still or every other what we're going to do. So um, there's just a lot of a lot of things to talk about and a lot of things to go through while I adjust to a new job and a new home and all that stuff. So um, we appreciate your patience and hang tight. And if you miss us a lot, like I said, Stephen is going to put on some, uh, some greatest hits and um, also go back and listen to some old episodes. There's a lot of episodes out there. Uh, a lot of good stuff we talked about and go back and check them out again and, and see yeah. how much... Uh, we've changed over the last year and how we've processed these things. We hope that this last year has changed you too. We hope that um, the topics we've discussed have challenged you to think and to um, be different and to um, challenge um, your beliefs about what we, what we do and what we believe as Christians and that you have become a deeper, richer follower of Jesus Christ the more you've um, challenged yourself to know him. So I think that's yeah. all the changes that I had to talk about. Stephen, you have any more? Uh, no, um, I don't. I don't think so. Um, uh, like like Ryan said, we will be talk. We're going to be talking in the next um, month or so about what what it, what's next for Elephant in the Pew and um, maybe ElephantPew.com. Um, we might end up doing who knows what. We're going to be doing a lot of questions and answers and everything like that. Mm-hmm. But when you when you listen to some of our old episodes if you're if you're wanting if you have questions or whatever feel free our emails are still there steven at elephantpew.com and ryan at elephantpew.com um send us a question send us uh, an email whatever you want send it to that to to us and we we will interact with you it's not like we're going to be yep. like off the internet for a month we're we're still going to be able to you know we'll, both of our blogs will still be up both of our um interaction and emails will be up so we will be able to interact with you in all facets of the of um the internet that we have mm-hmm. available to us so um but and we encourage that we would love to hear from you and hear any questions or thoughts that you have on previous episodes and the idea um let us know how you think the the website looks we'd love to hear um if there's anything that we can improve we'd because we're always trying to improve n- not only our sound quality, but also the ministry that um, Elephant in the Pew is. And if we can make it that much better, it, mm-hmm. it, we, it'll be um, perfect for us. Yep. Well, that's all for me. And that's all for me. Thank you so much for um, joining us this evening, this morning, wherever, whenever you decided to listen to us. You're, you are the best audience podcast could ask for. This episode was brought to you by ElephantPew.com. And um, remember, don't forget to check out the new website, ElephantPew.com. It is chock full of everything, um, the blog posts, the podcast posts, and... Um, there's picture pages. I mean, there's everything. Everything at elephantpew.com about elephant in the pew. <laughs> That's right. And also, don't forget to check us out on iTunes. Go to their rate, review, and subscribe there. And uh, if you leave a little comment, we'll uh, use your name and a poem on our show. 
people aren't taking advantage of this opportunity they're missing out so we'll go there also you can find us on google play you can go to blueberry.com you can find us in all sorts of places anywhere you can find podcasts you can usually find elephant in the pew go and subscribe so you get put on the list to automatically get our download so you don't forget about it when we have a new one that comes out uh thanks so much for listening to us today you guys are the bomb.com and uh we really love you guys so we're going to take a little bit of a break and we'll be back in mid-november to hang out with you guys and uh, enjoy you so thanks so much for listening we love you guys and god bless god bless